Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. You can visit the website and find out more, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute and constitutional scholar. We'll continue our discussion from last week on election integrity and voter IDs. Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, will be joining us. Always appreciate Andy's commentary. We'll be looking forward to predictions for 2022. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, and author of many books, his latest, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier, a book that he wrote with Buzz Aldrin. We'll visual with uh, Professor Bell as well. It is December the 29th, and on this day in 1890, in one of the final chapters of America's long Indian wars, the U.S. Cavalry killed 146 Sioux at Wounded Knee on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. Throughout 1890, the U.S. government worried about the increasing influence at Pine Ridge of the Ghost Dance spiritual movement, which taught the Native Americans had been defeated and confined to reservations because they had angered the gods by abandoning their traditional customs. Many Sioux believed that if they practiced the Ghost Dance and rejected the ways of the white man, the gods would create the world anew and destroy all non-believers, including non-Indians. On December the 15th, 1890, Reservation police tried to arrest Sitting Bull, the famous Sioux leader, who mistakenly believed uh, they believed was a ghost dancer, and killed him in the process, increasing the tensions at Pine Ridge. <coughs> Excuse me. On December the 29th, the U.S. Cavalry 7th Cavalry, <coughs> excuse me, please, <coughs> surrounded a band of ghost dancers and under the Sioux chief Bigfoot near Wounded Knee Creek and demanded they surrender their weapons. As this was happening, a fight broke out between an Indian and a U.S. soldier, and a shot was fired, although it's unclear from which side. A brutal massacre followed, in which it's estimated 150 Native Americans were killed. Some historians put that number at twice as high, and nearly half of them women and children. The cavalry lost 25 men. The conflict at Wounded Knee was originally referred to as a battle, but in reality it was a tragic and avoidable massacre. Surrounded by, heavily, surrounded by heavily armed troops, it's unlikely that Bigfoot's band would have intentionally started a fight. Some historians speculate that the soldiers of the 7th Cavalry were deliberately taking revenge from the regiment's defeat at Little Bighorn in 1876. Whatever the motives, the massacre ended the ghost dance movement and was the last major confrontation in America's deadly war against the Plain Indians. Uh... Conflict that uh, came to Wounded Knee again in February 1973 when it was the site of a 71-day occupation by the activist group AIM, or that's the American Indian Movement, and its supporters who repressed protesting the U.S. government's mistreatment of Native Americans. During the standoff, two Native Americans were killed and one federal marshal was seriously wounded and numerous people were arrested. 
Now, of course, cancel culture would like to see this as a demonstration of why we are unworthy as a nation. Uh, to me, these are this is our history, and we need to embrace it. Warts, warts and pimples and all, we see ourselves repeating this type of nonsense. Uh, going forward, just think about the mistaken thoughts that went behind uh, and the predicate for this entire action. Just incredible. And uh, uh, we, should, we should learn from our mistakes from the past, and we shouldn't condemn them. We should understand them. <clears throat> By the way, uh, NFL legend John Madden has died. The legendary NFL coach and broadcaster passed away unexpectedly Tuesday at the age of 85, according to the league. He was one of the greatest football coaches to ever live, and he was equally good on TV, I would say. He won Super Bowl XI with the Raiders, and honestly, I'm not sure if that's even what people think about when they think about John Madden. It just makes me smile to think about the con commentary that he had during the course of an NFL game. He was absolutely fantastic. Here's a man that really contributed a lot to the growth of the NFL, to football, to the appreciation of sports, and to entertainment. Uh, we will miss John Madden. And by the way, former Senate Majority Leader Harry died. Harry Reid died at age 82. Uh, Harry Reid, of course, not somebody that uh, I thought made a significant difference in the United States. I, he was pugilistic. I didn't realize that he was actually a professional boxer before he went into politics began, and uh, became a House member for over 30 years, and then, of course, became a member of the Senate, went a seat vacated, and uh, he ended up becoming the majority leader. So Harry Lead, uh, Reed dead yesterday, also at the age of 82. Well, the dry season is starting to live up to its name as a scant 0.14 inches of rain fell at Naples Airport in December, and there's no rain in the forecast for the remainder of the calendar year. Not a few days here. There's a high-pressure ridge that's set up over Florida that's allowed uh, for the warmer temperatures we've been seeing for December, said Sean Beatty, a meteorologist with the National uh, Service in Miami uh, covering this area. And we're in La Nina conditions, so generally when we tend to see drier, warmer winters in uh, El Nino, La Nina conditions, a dry, warm winter is being predicted by several forecasting outlets as La Nina has strengthened its grip on Florida weather. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, is calling for the warmer, drier conditions between now and next rainy season, which typically starts in mid-May. For the year, Lee and Collier counties on average receive 52 inches of rain, which is about 5 inches below normal, according to the South Florida Management water management district records. So uh, those uh, snowbirds coming down, they got to be pleased with the fact they're going to see less rain and lots of sunshine, warmer weather uh, during this season. Well, Senator Rand Paul pinned blame for the thousands of monthly coronavirus deaths on Dr. Anthony Fauci over his bias towards vaccines. And here's a quote from uh, Senator Paul. I would venture to say that thousands of people die in our country every month now from COVID because Fauci's de-emphasized the idea that there are therapeutics. Paul said he, he's also a physician and ophthalmologist. Paul explained that Fauci had a long history of bias towards vaccines stretching back to his work on AIDS. I think Fauci's of the philosophy that vaccines are incredibly successful and are the way to go versus therapeutics, for example. So with regards to AIDS, he was involved in the AIDS epidemic uh, when it came up. 
He wanted to develop a vaccine. He continued the interview with his father, former Representative Ron Paul. There's nothing wrong with that, he said. He wanted to develop a vaccine. Vaccines can be great for polio or smallpox uh, or wonderful. It didn't actually work for AIDS. No, it didn't. There was never a vaccine that was developed for AIDS after billions of dollars were invested in the part uh, in, in that search. Paul had previously said, and, and lots of people killed as a result of trying to in, uh, inoculate them with false AIDS uh, vaccines. Paul had previously said the monoclonal antibodies are one of the most promising treatments for virus after a person has been infected, but that misinformation on the antibody treatments plagues government bureaucrats. Recent data shows that monoclonal antibody treatments cuts the risk of death and hospitalization by 70% in high-risk patients and reduces the chance of infection among a household by 80%, Paul wrote in the September op-ed. Monoclonal antibodies have only just begun to be mentioned in the mainstream media, and misinformation still plagues government bureaucrats when discussing this scientifically-backed treatment. Fortunately, we have uh, monoclonal antibodies here in Florida. Seven days a week, you can find the locations on a website. Just Google it, and uh, if you find that you have an infection, uh, you can get it treated uh, and free of charge, actually, here in many locations throughout Florida. Our location on the Paradise Coast is in Immokalee, and I think there's another location uh, in Bonita Beach at the old library. Fauci has previously noted that monoclonal antibodies are just underutilized intervention for COVID-19, but such therapies are often dwarfed by the focus on vaccines. Just on Monday, the nation's top infectious disease expert floated implementing a federal requirement for vaccines on domestic flights in order to increase the number of vaccinated people. That's another incentive to get more people vaccinated, he said, during the appearance on MSMEC. I want you to do that What uh, that with domestic flights. I think that's something that seriously should be considered, said Fauci. Paul and Fauci are long sparred over the handling of the pandemic, and Paul has accused Fauci of lying about the effectiveness of the natural immunity because it foils his plans to get everybody possible vaccinated. The reason he, Fauci, won't uh, bring up natural immunity is because it foils his plans to get everybody possible vaccinated. He thinks it might slow down vaccination, and I'm for getting people vaccinated, particularly people at risk. But the thing is, if you ignore natural, naturally acquired immunity, then you're saying we don't have enough people. You have to force it on younger people, Paul said on uh, Kudlow's show on Fox. Fauci's uh, really pushing for these uh, vaccines, looking for any way possible to demand that the world population get vaccinated. I personally attribute this to his uh, motivation and power uh, ambitions. I read the book and just finished it yesterday, The Real Anthony Fauci. It is scary stuff, and I encourage all of our readers and all of our listeners to read uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book. He's the nephew of RFK and son of Robert Kennedy, uh, our Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book, it's called The Real Anthony Fauci. It's really illuminating and alarming. It's a great read. Well, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Tuesday significantly lowered its estimate of Omicron's prevalence in the United States. The CDC is now claiming Delta, not Omicron, was the dominant variant in the weeks leading up to Christmas, according to the agency 
Uh, Omicron accounted for about 59%, not 73% as they previously claimed of cases. I wonder what the motivation is for that. A lot of information coming out from the CDC that it warrants questioning. I think we should all be very skeptical of the information we're hearing from public health officials right now. Take care of your own health. That's my admonition. I'm no doctor. I'm no public health official, but I certainly am skeptical of the information we're seeing right now. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Higher Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way towards keeping seniors connected in the community and with each other. Serving all of Collier County, the Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding resources and services that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers, empowering seniors to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Programs are offered free of charge in a safe, welcoming space and focus on fellowship, enrichment and wellness, continuing education and meeting basic needs through offerings such as daily hot lunch, health screenings, and counseling services. So whether you're looking for referrals to services or a vibrant place to make friends, enjoy community support, or learn something new, Collier Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center is your Collier Senior Center. To learn more about programs and services, please visit CollierSeniorResources.org. That's CollierSeniorResources.org. Or call the Senior Center directly at 239 239- 252-4534. That's 252-3534. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a new refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, 
Thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure to be with you, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C., devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, cato.org on the web. Thank you, Bob. So we've been talking about voter IDs, voter integrity, and so forth, and I want to pick up on our conversation What should be the evidentiary framework, or zero fraud, for enacting a voter ID law? Well, some obvious points. One is that opponents of these ID laws uh, don't support fraud. Um, I oppose ID laws, which haven't been proven necessary. But I also oppose fraud, of course, and support laws that would prevent uh, fraud. The opponents uh, of ID laws... Their assertion is that the voters can't be compelled to obtain an ID unless you have some evidence that they would remedy a demonstrated problem. So nobody suggests that there's zero fraud. Um, But we need to see evidence, not just anecdotes. How much fraud is there? Where is it? How often? Is the incident sufficient to uh, justify the burden of a voter ID imposed not just on the people who commit fraud but on everybody who wants to vote? So we, you know, we ought to see cross-sectional comparisons of jurisdictions where IDs are required versus other jurisdictions where they're not required, or we should see some longitudinal studies, you know, jurisdictions before and after they implemented the voter ID laws. That's that's a kind of data that I think we should demand. Zero fraud, uh, just like zero car fatalities. It's not the ideal because. The price of zero fraud would be some intolerable infringements on uh, voting rights. So we, we just have to decide how much fraud are we willing to condone. There's going to be some. Yeah. Uh, the real problems are outdated voting machines and, and uh, long lines and complicated forms and and counting inaccuracies. And, of course, the most recent being cyber attacks, um, individual voter fraud. It's virtually non-existence because it's wholly irrational. I mean, the upside for one vote, you know, that's the upside. One more vote for your candidate. And the downside is you get a felony conviction, you go to jail yeah. for frauds. So it's, it's not a rational thing except on a massive scale. Yeah, but on the other hand, Bob, there's a, a number of polls that have come out that say that most people pr- support the whole notion of having an ID. And even if it, there's no evidentiary reason to have an ID, I, mean, I think it would make a lot of people feel more comfortable about the pro- voting process because as there is no bird. You've got to have an ID to buy liquor to do all kinds of things. Yeah, the, I understand that. But, of course, the people who don't oppose the ID are the people who have no problem getting one. Uh, there's a lot of research that shows about 9 million Americans don't have a photo ID, and half of the married women have names on their IDs that don't match the names on their birth certificates. Uh. So the the problem is the the folks that are minorities mostly that don't have IDs and would be um, somewhat uh, disadvantaged in having to get one. So, you know, there have been some court cases about this, and most of the court cases that I'm aware of have uh, determined that there was not sufficient evidence that IDs were readily available to everybody uh, without charge. And even if they were, you know, uh, would would you impose an ID before somebody could speak publicly? 
you wouldn't because there's no particular problem related to public speaking that an ID would cure. Mm -hmm. So the first chore is to identify the problem that exists. And if there is one, then, of course, an ID um, would be justified. Okay, well, that makes sense. So what are your thoughts about Trump's Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity? Well, it was had a big uh, uh, run-up, but it's been now been disbanded. Uh, its purpose was to restore integrity <clears throat> and uh, and to uh, push through policies that make voting registration easier and voting IDs if they were required easier, mm-hmm. um, particularly for uh, um, less advantaged people. But you know, there was some suspicion that the real purpose of the commission, particularly since it was chaired by Chris Kobach, who was a very partisan uh, former Kansas Secretary of State, some people suspected that the real purpose was to suppress uh, Democratic votes. We don't know whether that's true or not. But there are, there are repeated studies now to show that the real fraud that's a problem, in-person fraud, that's the only kind that can be caught by voter IDs is very, very rare. The real bigger problems are the ones that I mentioned, especially now the, the latest problem with cyber attacks. That's really where we ought to focus our... Uh, our yeah, and machines uh, like uh, Dominion, I think those need to be looked at as well. So Machines would be an opportunity for massive fraud, and of course their integrity has to be ensured. Absolutely. So tell us about the 2020 10th Circuit Court decision regarding proof of citizenship. Yeah, there was a Kansas law, again, uh, because of this uh, ex-Secretary of State, Chris Kobach, um, that required proof of citizenship to register. And the Tenth Circuit took a look at that and said that the law violates the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause um, and the uh, National Voter Registration Act. That's a so-called motor voter rule. Uh, And the court found that There were more than 31,000 applicants who were turned down from registering, but they only found 39 of them, uh, 39 out of 31,000, who were non-citizens. And the court characterized that as incredibly slight evidence, not enough to require uh, proof of citizenship. By the way, it's it's okay to vote if you're a non-citizen in some municipal elections not statewide, and certainly not in federal elections. Well, they certainly opened up in New York, as I understand it, now in New York City. Even uh, non-citizens can vote in, um, as you're pointing out, probably local. I'm not even sure if it's state, but certainly local elections. Yeah, yeah. yeah municipal elections. So, so what about voting rights for convicted felons? You know, that's a tougher problem. Rand Paul <clears throat> argued that there were 180,000 uh, convicted felons in his state, Kentucky, and that he wanted them to be allowed to vote. Uh, Well, we know that prisoners, for example, can be denied the right to vote while they're in prison. Um, When they commit a felony, they forfeit certain rights, and that can even include the the right to to vote. After all, they they forfeit the the right to to be uh, at liberty. Um, They're behind bars. But after a felon completes his sentence, then I believe his voting rights uh, should be restored. Uh, if, the, if the law denying his voting rights were passed after he committed the crime, that, I think, would be a violation of the ex post facto rule. Uh, if the law were passed before he committed the crime, then it would be subject to the usual test. 
and that is government has to show that there's a very persuasive reason for the law, that the law is effective at, at resolving problems of, uh, of fraud, and that there's no less discriminatory means of accomplishing uh, the same ends. So I, I would restore voting rights to felons who have completed their prison terms, but I'd leave it up to the states, not the feds. A one-size-fits-all remedies would not pass muster. Individual states might prefer a limited rather than blanket restoration based on, you know, the nature and the severity of the crime, the history of recidivism, uh, the length of time since they've been released from prison. Uh, Florida has a nuanced approach to this problem. Yeah, it's so interesting. Florida does have a nuanced approach, and uh, even on the margin, it became difficult because, well, in Florida, once you complete your time and uh, you pay your penalty, uh, you can vote. However, it gets very muddied because uh, there can be uh, severe financial uh, right. consequences that are attached to the crime or to the to the conviction. So, uh, it gets. I think it's still kind of a murky issue in Florida. It's a murky issue from a policy perspective. And also from a uh, from a constitutional perspective, because requiring people to pay to vote is a poll tax, which has been uh, ruled unconstitutional. So it's a tough area. Yeah. Just remind our listeners that this is a, a very important issue because you know, the Constitution allows uh, this is a primary uh, right that we have, and it, it, it needs to be treated with uh, ultimate care. It's not like driving a car, as you pointed out, or other things that we can do as a privilege. Uh, these are rights that are spelled out in the Constitution. Indeed. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Happy New Year to you and your family, and thanks so much for joining us. And to you as well. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. 
Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. Not only building a performing arts center in downtown Naples, it's going to be terrific, but also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get season tickets now, tickets for any performance. Just go to the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. And let me mention our connection this morning is absolutely excellent. Well, I'm so pleased to hear that. I went out and bought new equipment. I was having trouble with the... <laughs> I finally got my IT guy over. He says, by the way, you probably didn't need to buy that thing. <laughs> it's a noticeable change. I'll, I will tell you, if you invested in this, I think it was money well spent, Bob. Well, I'm so pleased to hear that, Andy. So, you know, we're going into a new year, and uh, everybody's kind of thinking about what's the year going to bring. I, I bet you've got some thoughts on what we will we'll look forward to in 2022. Well, look forward to or not, as the case may be. And I think you used the right word, thoughts. I, I was using the word predictions and forecasts, but I, I think they are thoughts. And I, I'd like to uh, believe that these are well-considered thoughts. They're not uh, rubbing the crystal ball or using the Ouija board, but things I've invested some time in trying to, uh, to get a firm grasp on some of these situations. So let, let me start out with, uh, you know, first of all, yesterday, a, a great American died and uh, his loss will be felt across you know, the wide expanse of America, and that's, of course, Jack Madden. And Harry Reid also died. So I just wanted to mention the Jack Madden death. And, and, and remember, Jack, you know, for all the, uh, the fond memories of his teams beating the Giants. So uh, <laughs> with that in mind, a, a sports prediction, just to start out light, I believe the uh, Kansas City Chiefs will win the Super Bowl with my dark horse being the Dallas Cowboys. So, you know, I wouldn't bet on this, Bob, but I think that's a, a, a good bet. Um, now, getting into some more serious areas, and uh, I think in the in the more obvious political situations in Florida, I think that uh, Byron Donalds will win a resounding re-election, as will Ron DeSantis in uh, in November 2022. Uh, both will grow in esteem in the in the Republican Party, and will uh, continue to be um, uh, con continue to be uh, influencer, if I might use that word, uh, for the Republican Party going into the future. Uh, I am predicting uh, at this point that Donald Trump will not run for the presidency. Hmm. I, I believe that he will support Ron DeSantis, uh, be actively supporting Ron DeSantis. But I am saying right now that in 2022, uh, Donald Trump will announce he will not run for the presidency. Uh -huh. If we look at the other statewide election in uh, in Florida, uh, that is the uh, re-election of Marco Rubio, I, I believe Rubio will win this election, although it is it is seen as a toss up in a competitive state. I 
I don't see it being that fragile. Uh, I think that uh, Rubio will win, but in a very close election, unlike DeSantis and 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 Donalds, who will both win in in veritable landslides. So, those are my my Florida predictions in terms of political outcomes. And of course, I I mentioned the the Donald Trump situation. I I think he would be strong. I still love Donald Trump. I admire him greatly. Uh, so I'm not in any way reflecting my personal. Uh, desire in this. I'd love to see him run. I do not think he will. And I think he will announce that in 2022. That's so interesting. So uh, give us a little bit of your thoughts behind that, because I think a lot of people are anticipating that he will run. Well, I think I think most are. And I'm not trying to be a contrarian here by by doing what the majority by saying something antagonistic to what the majority do feel. Uh, I, I just feel that uh, at his age, and I'm not saying age is automatically a, is a disqualifier. Uh, I think that uh, he, I just think he will not want to go into the the battleground that he was in for four years from 2016 through 2020. Uh, and I just think he he sees DeSantis as I think if, if DeSantis wasn't there, I think certainly Trump would want. But I think Donald Trump will see that he has a very, very high quality successor to the uh, Make America Great Again theme. Uh, and I think that with that in mind, he will cast his support completely behind Ron DeSantis uh, as the campaign emerges going into 2023 and then uh, finally in 2024. That's so interesting. Well, DeSantis uh, certainly is uh, uh, his, uh, I guess we'll call him uh, his, he's, he's not all elbows going into the situation. Donald Trump has a tendency, not just because of his tweets, but his comments, his counterpunching, to alienate certain people on his personality, having nothing to do with policy whatsoever. I think uh, you're right. DeSantis does embrace a lot of those same policies, but it doesn't have the edge uh, that Donald Trump brings to the situation. But I will say this. I have mixed feelings about it because DeSantis is such a great governor. We're going to miss him here in Florida. Well, and that's it. I think that's that's perhaps my my greatest reservation about that uh, to lose Ron DeSantis at this point. When, uh, as best I understand it, the Democrats are not even funding their Democrat gubernatorial candidate uh, in 2022. So uh, that is the amount of strength that uh, DeSantis has picked up within his uh, his governor's uh, time in office, uh, and I think that has been well earned. And let me just get to one of your statements. And I, I think a lot of these fine edges or these uh, rough edges, let's call them, with Donald Trump, uh, have been artificial creations of the left. I, I, I will admit that some of his uh, uh, emails have been a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, rough on the edges. But uh, certainly, I think most of the views held by people that are negative about Trump are are creations, artificial creations of the left. Bob. Well, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. In fact, I sat down and talked with somebody, and. Uh, uh, said uh, he, he said, well, we're just sick and tired of all the lies from Donald Trump. And I said, name one. <laughs> and, you know, he yeah. came he came up with something about a weather map uh, where a <laughs> hurricane was going to. There's no doubt that Donald Trump, as a salesman, uh, historically, uh, certainly will puff. Uh, uh, puffing is perfectly legitimate, you know, to, you know, when you say your grandchildren are the best looking kids on the planet, everybody knows you're puffing, right. you know, so it's, it's not something to deceive people or manipulate people or, or change an outcome of a situation. I can't think of anything that Donald Trump ever did, uh, a, 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 a willful distortion of facts to right. change the outcome of any situation, Bob. I agree with that a hundred percent. And, uh, I personally, I, so, I'm so supportive of president Trump. I just, 
you know, uh, we've all worked for difficult people. We've all had difficult people in our lives. Look, the question is, is he effective as a president? And Donald Trump, there's never been a president, I think, more effective than uh, President Donald Trump. I would love to have him back, and I'd love to have him continue to make America great again. You know, although it's not as extreme a situation, I would sort of relate <coughs> excuse me, uh, Donald Trump to George Patton during World War II. You know, George Patton had his rough edges. Yeah. But if you want to read a tank, a tank army, you want to put George Patton there. And the same thing with Donald Trump uh, in the Oval Office. That's the man you want in the Oval Office. I think over the past year, we've seen the incredible decline in the quality of American life in, in all areas, Bob, as a derivative of the Biden administration. So, I mean, I don't think any rational person can deny that decline from where from where President Trump left us at the end of 2020. So uh, one just to follow up also on your comments on uh, Marco Rubio, it's, it surprises me that you think he may be in a close race. And uh, we now have uh, 700,000 more registered Republicans in Florida than we had in 2008. I think that's the time when Rubio first ran. I'm not sure, but irrespective, I, I just understand why that race would be particularly contentious. I do not did not feel that way. Let me say, having done some uh, some reading on this, I and again, I think Rubio will win. I think this is a likely uh, Rubio win, uh, undoubtedly. Uh, but it's now listed as a battleground state. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly of the polling that was done to uh, to reach that level. So again, I'm predicting Rubio. Uh, but again, it's one of the eight states that are listed as as battleground states for the uh, for the U.S. Senate in, in 2022. With that in mind, let me move into um, I think perhaps the most important part of my 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 thoughts. Again, let's keep it as as thoughts. Uh, the elections of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the Republicans will take the House. I I don't think it'll be a uh, a tidal wave uh, as many people are predicting. I'm I'm going to go with a number, and again a research number now, Bob, of 2020 to 215. 220 to 215. Uh, so again, that's that's the number I'm looking at a a, a five seat advantage uh, for the for the Republicans. Uh, and uh, but I don't think it's going to be as dramatic. I've I've read some projections of a 33 seat uh, edge for the Republicans going into 2023. <clears throat> I do not think it'll be that high. Uh, I think there's uh, momentum uh, with the suburban housewives still that will will carry a lot of Democrats back into office. Uh, but again, I'm looking for the, the the Republicans to take over the House uh, in 2022, and that is a, a critical factor, uh, primarily because I am also predicting that the Democrats will hold the Senate. Hmm. The Democrats will hold the Senate, actually pick up one seat and move to a 51 to 49 edge uh, with the with with those caucusing with the Democrats in the Senate. So, uh, again, I, that is why it is critical that the House be taken by the Republicans. I believe the Senate, the Senate will be held and actually increase their margin uh, in, in 2022. Let me just give you my, my reasoning for that as I, as I saw it. Uh, if you look at those uh, areas that are described as battleground states, Mark Kelly in Arizona, I believe he will win. Uh, Democrat uh, will win in Georgia. I believe Raphael Warnock will hold on to his seat in Georgia. Uh, I believe Catherine, uh, Catherine Cortez uh, Masto will will win in uh, in Nevada. I, I also believe that uh, that Maggie Hassan will win in New Hampshire. Richard Burr retired. I believe that seat will flip 
I believe it will go into the hands of the Democrats. Uh, if we look at Pennsylvania, where Pat Toomey retired, I believe that seat will go into the hands of the Democrats. So my, my projections for the Senate, uh, although it's not the ones <clears throat> that I prefer, obviously, but I believe the Senate, and I'm not even dramatically building into this voting irregularities. Uh, so um, although it's, it, I have to admit it has affected uh, my decisions about this, that there will be, uh, if not illegalities, and let's move away from illegality and just uh, categorize them as irregularities in voting. And I think the, the Democrats would not have the, uh, the ability to focus on 435 House seats. So I think the House will, will go into Republican hands, but I think they can focus on critical, uh, critical Senate seats, and I think they will hold the Senate going into 2023, Bob. So you think Warnock is going to beat uh, uh, Herschel Walker? Yes, I, yes, I do. My goodness, that is such a prediction. I, I think he's going to win. I think Herschel Walker is going to win by a landslide in that race. Well, Bob, let's let's hope you're as always. I always hope you're right. <laughs> but, but as as I looked at the numbers and I looked at the projections uh, in Georgia and the trends in Georgia, so uh, a lot of these are a lot of my thoughts are derived from polls, uh, trending movements, and so forth. So uh, at this point, if if we look, let me just see if I can dig War, Warnock out of the out of the mix here, uh, so I can just give give you give you specifics on that. Uh, I know I've got him here, Pennsylvania Warner. No, uh, Georgia Warner. I'm sorry. Um, that is such a dire. They, they, they've got they've got the uh, he had a 51 percent margin in uh, in 2020. Uh, right now, uh, everyone lists Georgia as a toss up. But I my my uh, thought on that was primarily that if he holds the same vote he received in the runoff uh, in, in 2020, uh, that he will, in fact, be reelected uh, in, in, uh, in Georgia. Bob. Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, I think uh, Herschel Walker has President Trump's support and, and uh, endorsement. Plus, uh, yeah, Herschel Walker is a hero in in Georgia. I mean, he was University of Georgia running back, Hall of Fame football player, Dallas Cowboys. Uh, so, uh, and, and, he, and he says all the right stuff. So I think Herschel Walker is going to win that race. I think you're wrong on that one. I certainly hope so. Well, let, let me break out my big guns then. I think <laughs> in Georgia, the, the implications of perhaps uh, voter irregularities are, are the, perhaps I see as the most substantial in the nation. Now, Georgia has also, uh, this is an amazing contradiction of statements, uh, has in fact the, the, the most secure voting laws on the books right now of any state. Uh -huh. But I just think that what we're going to see is a significant level of ballot harvesting, a almost total election uh, run through uh, through uh, mail-ins and, and ballot harvesting. And I think those type of processes automatically will lead to voting irregularities that I think will put Warnock over the top of that. And I, and I, I hope that Herschel Walker wins this. Uh, I think he is a solid man and a solid candidate. And everything you said about it is true. So uh, my prediction is not based on the quality of the men, uh, but basically on what I see as the 
uh, the history of Georgia and the potential for voting irregularities in Georgia. Okay, well, that helps to clarify, and I appreciate that so much. So, um, again, what happened in 2020 is because of COVID, we uh, saw a lot of changes that were illegal, according to the Constitution. It was supposed to be the, uh, the House uh, state houses, the uh, state legislatures that make these decisions, but in many cases it was not the state legislatures that made decisions about uh, voting laws in various states, including Georgia. And the consequence is the outcome, of course, what we saw. My hope is that uh, we hold the uh, the whole process accountable going into 2022. We'll see about that. What are your predictions on COVID? Uh, well, I think we're going to see uh, the emergence of a post-Omicron variant that'll be called the Pi variant. Um, I have a, uh, I think I can offer a potential that the Pi variant will be uh, more contagious. And I think it will be also a stronger, uh, a stronger variant of the the, the COVID uh, virus. Uh, I think that the, the way the vaccines are being used it's almost forcing our little viral friends uh, to develop stronger pathways around these uh, these medications that are being introduced. So I guess my prediction would be that uh, Omicron will will fade out. It'll, it's a it's a weak variant in terms of not contagiousness, but in terms of uh, of symptomatic Im- impact. I think what will emerge from this is the the new variant will be the Pi variant. I think that will be contagious and will be a stronger. Uh, a stronger symptomatic variant of the COVID vaccine, of the COVID virus, rather. That's so interesting. Uh, I think that will affect, and you you alluded to it, I think that will affect the terms of the the election uh, process that will be in place. Uh, And let me just give one other overall coloring factor that uh, affected my, my, my political projections, Bob. I do not believe the Democrats will yield control of both houses of Congress without doing everything in their power, legal or illegal, if I might, to hold on to. And I can't hold on to the House. I think they know that. Uh, At least there's very little chance they can hold on to the House. But I think they'll put everything they can into holding the Senate. And that certainly colored a lot of my projections for the Senate, Bob. So interesting. I, I'm going to take this opportunity to recommend to you and to our listeners. I just completed the reading of The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert uh, Kennedy Jr. That is a terrific, shocking read. And I just encourage all of our listeners to get up to speed with what's happened with this, uh, with everything involving the uh, coronavirus, the vaccines, the assault on our freedoms. It's just an, it's such an important book and so well documented. I just challenge anybody to, to, to question what's in that book. So have you read it, uh, Andy? I, I finished the book you know, quite early on because I had been uh, exposed to uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s um, positions on this uh, perhaps as long ago as a year. Uh, so I've had a real interest in his views. Uh, I think we talked about this last week that uh, Fauci described uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. as as being disturbed and, again, uh, it was a typical leftist ad hominem comment uh, attacking uh, the, the characteristics of the person and not the information. As you just said, one of the most uh, tightly documented works I've, I've read in years, Bob. So there is no doubt that Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, has documented everything that he said in that book. Yeah, and we're talking about war games. We're talking about uh, ways to diminish the importance of our freedoms. It's all documented in that book, including names 
dates and situations that have surrounded it. It's just incredible. Do you agree with me? It's just that important that this book that he wrote. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing else that uh, so totally categorizes all of the elements that have gone into, uh, first of all, the uh, the gain of function process, the uh, the financial implications, the manipulation of the marketplace, um, every aspect of it. Kennedy uh, Kennedy has been deeply immersed in this since its origin, and before that, he has a uh, he has been a deeply immersed in the analysis of the pharmaceutical industry. And so he goes into this whole uh, COVID experience with a strong background uh, and has developed that completely to my satisfaction and, and to yours, obviously. Absolutely. Andrew Job, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Happy New Year to you and your family, and thank you so much for joining us. You too, Bob. Happy New Year. Thank you so much. Coming up, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, 
in space architecture. He's also the author of many books. His latest, I'm looking forward to reading it, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Thank you so much. My pleasure indeed, Professor. So uh, your latest column in Newsmax, and I want to reference, uh, if you go to Newsmax.com, you'll find listed on the right-hand side the columnists. Among them, Larry Bell, On Point is the name of his column, the latest column, Russia, China, Iran team as triple threats. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, yeah, Bob. It's... uh... You know, it's pretty pretty serious situation right now, of course, on so many fronts, but we kind of forget about the uh, international front where uh, we have Russia and China and then Iran in the background uh, moving towards being uh, nuclear capable with their missiles and so on. And so it's scary times, but it seems like some of our adversaries are taking advantage of this and very likely taking advantage of uh, what they see as very weak leadership, as evidenced by the Afghanistan debacle and so on, and being tested. Most particularly, China and Russia have have come to an agreement, a formal agreement, to depend to to uh, support each other in their own spheres of interest and regions of interest, and and we're seeing that uh, the uh, Russians, Russian uh, aircraft uh, have been joining with the Chinese aircraft and flying over Taiwan and, and really tormenting Taiwan. And same time, uh, uh, China has pretty much offered support, certainly not interference, but also support to Russia in as they surround uh, Ukraine now and are making great threatening overtures as they took over Crimea before, and it looks like they're, uh, they're looking at moving again. So, And then you have both both of them really collaborating with Iran. Uh, and uh, at the time, the Biden administration is very desperate to try to uh, re-up uh, the uh, so-called Iran nuclear deal. Uh, and uh, and that's that's pretty that's pretty uh, pretty concerning as well when they're uh, you know buying their oil, China, you know Iran's oil, and they're providing nuclear and missile technology to Iran. So we have a really a triple threat, and it's a question of brinksmanship and how how it's going to be played out. Uh, Nobody wants a war, you know, anywhere, and certainly not nuclear war with either Russia or China. And how far they're going to push it and how far we're going to push back and how effective the economic sanctions and other sanctions would be or banking sanctions on Russia and so on. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very uh, uh, concerning time. It is indeed. And as, uh, of course, you well know, and uh, having written the book on cyber warfare, that uh, – uh, not our uh, the warfare today is defined uh, is somewhat asymptomatic uh, meaning you know it's it's uh, around cyber warfare it's around a number of things aside from the typical uh, battlefields and uh, battles in in the in the uh, in the uh, oceans uh, and uh, Russia and China are very adept as as well as now Iran at uh, at those battles. 
Well, we're seeing now also the development of tests of hypersonic weapons that can travel at many times the speed of sound, and 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 presumably they're almost impossible to target and, and shoot down, and so on. And there, you know, so the advancement in that, and we don't, you know, of course, I have no inside information in terms of where the U.S. stands on that kind of technology. Hopefully. And nor do I really want to have that information out there in the world, but uh, hopefully we're making progress as well. But as you mentioned, we've got you know the hypersonic weapons now, and then and the cyber weapons, and now the biological weapons, as we are recently seeing with you know with uh, the the so-called Wuhan virus, which is pretty much uh, I think believed by majority of people that came. It was a it was a gain-of-function, you know, bioengineered uh, experiment that went went uh, crazy wrong. But but you know, we're in a very very bad place, and particularly since some of these, the bioweapons and the and 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 not so much with hypersonics, of course, but more with bioweapons and cyber warfare. Even the small countries, poor the poor countries, as we by comparison have the capacity to do that all it takes is is some you know some laboratory you know equipment and some and some young generations of of uh, you know children and that are groomed to understand and learn about these technologies from almost from middle school which they're doing in North Korea and so on and you know it's it's a it's it's a world that's uh very, very uh, uh, vulnerable, and uh, and it's also a question of economics plays into it. And would China act before the Olympics if they're going to do something? And mm-hmm. are they going to test situations before, you know, while Biden's in office, and they and they can they feel like maybe they can uh, you know, push buttons without the pushback we get with another president? All these things that are. Uh, it becomes very complicated and intermixed. Yeah, yeah, terrific column, an important relationship that's being developed right now. Russia, China, Iran team is triple threats. I'd encourage you to visit Newsmax.com to read the entire column. Uh, Professor, before I let you go, I know you've been a pioneer in the space program back in the day, and uh, we've recently released or launched, I believe it was Christmas Day, uh, a new uh, telescope, a new uh, f- function to be able to explore outer space is going to be located a million miles from Earth and should be able to, uh, the aspiration is to be able to look back 13 billion years into almost the Big Bang. I just appreciate any comments you might have about that. Well, it's so exciting. You know, we, we tend to think of space as, as people, I've, you know, I've known an awful lot of the guys that work walked on the moon and they've been friends and so on and people that helped get them there and so on. But, but a lot of the stuff that's really exciting is the stuff where, where, you know, the, our eyes and emissaries go, it's, you know, it's the, it's the unmanned systems and it's whether we're doing with robotics and and telerobotics on the moon and Mars, but also our eyes into the, into the past and into the future from, you know, from from deep space. It's, it's very, 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 very exciting. We is a profound sense of appreciation and awe for 
you know, for for nature and universe and so on. And and uh, with these new eyes, we're I think learning maybe more about our place in that in that that tremendous system. Yeah. Again, Professor Larry Bell, I encourage you to read uh, the new book. It's called Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier that Professor Bell co-authored with Buzz Aldrin. Professor, always appreciate your commentary on the show. Thank you so much for joining us, and Happy New Year. And same to you, Bob, and I, I always enjoy it so much. Thank you so much, Professor. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we've got terrific guests uh, lined up for tomorrow's show, including Keith Flaw, I'm sorry, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. Naomi Perez is going to be joining us from the Immokalee Foundation. Sal Nuzo from the James Madison Institute will also be with us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>